Today, I want to cover the biblical prohibitions of Shabbat and the practicality, really, just getting practical and observing the Shabbat, getting to the spirit of things. And biblically speaking, we're given four primary prohibitions, and here they are. Now, I, I could have added a couple more. We'll get to that today. You'll see that, and there's different ways I could have structured this. In fact, I could narrow it down to just two if I wanted, but here's four primary things, guidelines with the Shabbat. No working, no buying or selling, no kindling a fire, and no embracing your own pleasure. There really is no reason to be intimidated by the Shabbat. It is a, there's a beautiful simplicity to the observance of this day. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to go through these one by one. And I just want to give you a better feel of the do's and don'ts. And the first one I want to look at is something that we've covered quite extensively. And that is, there's just no working. There's no melacha on Shabbat. Pretty straightforward commandment. The question is, why? I, I always I want, I want to keep bringing it back here because it opens up an understanding and an appreciation for this day. Why? Why do we cease from melacha? Well, first and foremost, the answer to that is, we follow the example of Elohim. Of our creator. Elohim created for six days. And on the seventh day he rested. And Yeshua teaches us that a disciple. It is enough for him to be like his teacher. Like his master. And how true that is. And so first and fundamental. Why we do this. Because our father has shown us the way. And established that component at creation. But not just that. There's another spiritual reality that exists in regard to ceasing from work on the Shabbat. Remember the whole Adam and Eve story. I'm going to take you back there again. Adam and Eve, they fell into transgression. And the Lord cast them out of their inheritance. They were literally separated from their inheritance. They're separated from the tree of life. And the Lord condemned them to death. Okay? I mean, this is pretty bad, but there's something else that we forget that happened. When the Lord cast them out, he pronounced a curse upon all mankind. A curse. What, would, what was that curse? The curse was, is that is by the sweat of the brow, we will eat. We have been cursed to labor and toil. It's a curse. Here's the interesting thing about this. When we enter into the Shabbat, something happens. Something magical, if you will. The curse that was upon us is lifted. We do not labor. We do not toil. I and mean, here's the interesting thing. We still eat. We still rejoice. We still have joy. And I want you to understand, this is all a prophetic foreshadow. When we enter into this rest, it's foreshadowing of that day that's going to come. The day we call the Sabbath millennium. The, the Sabbath of this age. Very, very powerful concept. So every time we enter into the Sabbath, we are tasting freedom. We're tasting where the curse is removed from us. We're tasting eternity. So powerful, so beautiful. Therefore, when it comes to working on the Shabbat, avoid it for what it is. Avoid it like a curse. It is 
a curse. And do not let the enemy come in and deceive you and tell you, oh, it's a blessing. My, my employer is going to pay me time and a half, double time. That's clearly from the Lord. That's a blessing. No, it's not. You are entering into a curse. That is a curse that we've been set free from, that the Lord has set us free from. He set this time aside for freedom, for us to experience that victory. It's not a time to do yard work, not a time to clean the pool, clean the garage. It's certainly not a time to go to work, to the place of your employment and enter into a servant status. That is not what that day is designed for us, for God's children to be a part of. In fact, let me take you back to the commandment. Exodus 28. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. And that word labor is avad. It's the very same Hebrew word for aved, meaning servant. And it means just that, to serve. Understand something. We are not to be servants on the Shabbat. We've been set free. And this is a concept, this is a beautiful concept, woven throughout the Torah. Think about, you go to Exodus 21, and there we're told that the servants who serve their masters, they're only to do so for six years, but in the seventh year, they're released. Isn't that interesting? On the seventh year, they are given freedom. They experience freedom. We take it a step further, the law of the Shemitah. What is the law of the Shemitah? We are in final financial bondage, total bondage, total oppression for six years. And then on the seventh year, we're released. What I'm telling you is it is the same thing with the Shabbat. In six days, this curse that is mine to labor and toil by the sweat of our brow. That's how we eat. But when we enter into the Shabbat, we're set free. We're free men. And you know what? This is a beautiful thing. It's a blessing of the Lord. And guess what? The devil hates it. He wants to keep us in bondage. He wants to, he literally is trying to attempt to seduce us to embrace the curse. He doesn't want us to embrace freedom. He doesn't want us to embrace the blessing. You know, it's never ceased to amaze me how Hasatan has managed to completely distort the, the spiritual reality of the Shabbat. I mean, getting believers to look at it as a curse. Isn't that fascinating? And I mean, I've talked to them. They literally say that, no, no, that's the law. That's a curse. I'm not going to keep the Shabbat. And you're blown away at how Satan was able to negotiate that. Flip it totally upside down on its head. He comes in and tells people, no, 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 it's insignificant or it's inconvenient. He has unleashed an entire arsenal of weaponry against the Shabbat knowing how powerful it is. And when you look at all these weapons and what they're doing, I realize something. He has pinpointed all of his weapons to one little tiny spot, the, 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 the literally center of the target. You know what he's attacking? Faith. He is attacking our faith on every circumstance. You start seeing this, on whether he's, he's coming at you with covetousness, trying to sow covetousness into your heart. That is an attack on your faith. If he's coming to sow fear, fear in your heart that you're not going to have enough, fear in your heart that if you don't go in, your employer's going to fire you, that is an attack that is a direct assault on your faith. And it's time that we recognize it for what it is. 
We need to know what's going on. And this is where the teachings of Yeshua really come in handy. We need to really spend some time in his teachings. Because nobody unpacks the Torah better than Yeshua. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6.30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Absolutely amazing. Interestingly enough, all of these things that Yeshua is attacking... And stating, oh, you of little faith, these are all things that prevent us from keeping the Shabbat. All of these, all geared towards fear. If I don't go in, how am I going to support my family? If I don't go in, how's my employer going to make money? If I don't go in, he might fire me. All of these things. And Yeshua cries out, oh, you of little faith. Continuing on in verse 32. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And again, we talked about last week, his righteousness. This means his commandments. All his commandments are righteousness. One of which, just one, one of which is the Shabbat. This is to take precedence all over the cares of the world. And then he says, all these things shall be added to you for a believer the focus is yeshua to love him to keep his commandments let the rest worry about itself don't worry about these things don't get caught up don't let satan come in start sowing fear into your heart where you start literally focusing on the world and the things of the world rather than the things of the lord i mean it's just like what craig was up here praying if we become Marthas, and I am, just as Craig admitted, I'm a Martha and many times. I get so caught up and busy and doing the work. No, I need to get caught up. I need to do what Mary does to choose the better thing, to choose the Lord, to choose Yeshua. That's what it matters, and that's what this is about. This is about letting all the world go away and about just sitting at his feet and, saying, and worshiping. And praising his glorious name. That's what this is about. It's very, very powerful. We, we need to recalibrate, people. We need to recalibrate our minds and our hearts. Get the world out. Because it is dictating our schedule. It is. It's dictating the way we think. How we plan. The world is dictating how we plan our future. Versus this book. It should be this book dictating how we think. I want to take you back a couple of verses. Yeshua says something so profound. His disciples, they ask him, teach us how to pray, Yeshua. Well, he answers that, and it's, we say this post-sermon every week. And we go to this. This is what he says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that interesting? This is how we are supposed to pray. The phrase directly corresponds to Exodus 16. You need to go back there. Go back to the time when the Lord rained manna down upon Israel. What happened? He only gave them enough bread for one day. In fact, those who tried to store it up and tried to plan, 
For the next day, it actually bred worms and stank. They were not allowed. They were not allowed. And this, this concept... Okay, so when you read the Exodus story, you think, oh, that's interesting history. Oh, that was for them, and that was for that time, but now we're under the new covenant. Why is Yeshua bringing us back there and telling us, this is where you're supposed to live, right here. Give us this day our daily bread. They lived their lives from day to day with their arms open, their head up, waiting for the Lord. Lord, provide for me, trusting in the Lord. They had to trust in the Lord that he would provide the next day. That's faith. That's what the Lord wants from us. That's why he's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us, he's giving us character. Powerful. We need to have that kind of faith, a faith that prays, give us this day our daily bread. It's enough. I don't need to plan my 401ks. I don't need to worry about my investments. I don't need about planning for retirement. The entire world system is focused on that. And they start teaching you that. You haven't even got into college. The Bible, Yeshua doesn't teach the things of the world. In fact, they're an abomination to him. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a powerful concept. The primary lesson we really should be taking away from that story in Exodus can't allow fear to control us. We can't allow it to compel us to compromise the Shabbat. A direct command. There's no mystery here. It's one of the Ten Commandments. We can't allow Satan to distort it, twist it, and flip it upside down. Manipulate us from walking away from the freedom, from the blessing. It's not a curse. Yeshua really brings this concept to life through an illustration in Luke 14. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, oh, well, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. So he's telling the Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I have responsibilities. You know, I have this land that I purchased and I really got to focus on that right now. I just, I just don't have time for this. Moving on to verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go test them. I ask you to have me excuse. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. All of these men make up a variety of excuses as to why they couldn't show up to meet with the Lord. They're too busy to meet with Yeshua. Other obligations, responsibilities that needed their attention, all of which are worldly, all of which took precedence over the calling. One thing that I have learned from Scripture is this. When the Lord calls, you come. And hear me clearly. The Shabbat, and this is scriptural, this is not opinion, this is fact. The Shabbat is a calling. Read Leviticus 23. It is explicitly the Lord calling his children to come before him. You do not want to give him excuses. You know what happened to these men who gave excuses? In Luke 14, 24, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. None of them. They did not hear the voice of the Lord. They refused it. Yeshua says, He who loves this world in this age... He will lose his life. And he who hates his life in this age will keep it for all eternity. 
but the world system has structured it that we are trying to get the most out of this life. We're trying to build our kingdom here. Our entire focus in being the hours and hours of study that we're given in academic realms. Just to nail that one job. Just to get an edge above someone else. It's not even about the work itself. It's about the money. It's about the security. Is it not? I mean, we can lie to ourselves and tell us it's not. Yeshua is very clear. A man cannot serve two masters. He will either love the one and hate the other, or either hate the one and love the other. And then he goes on and says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. One's going to pull you. One's going to uh, uh, demand your allegiance. They're both demanding allegiance, but you can only give allegiance to one. With that said, I want to get into the practicality of exceptions. And what I mean by that statement, there are some instances where people are going to have to work on Shabbat, right? There are some jobs that are about saving lives. There are some jobs that are there to sustain life. And the most obvious example is the medical field. You have doctors working tirelessly to save people who've gotten in car accidents, right? You have nursing staffs that are there assisting them or even just assisting people that cannot take care of themselves. And so they need the help. And if someone didn't take care of them, they would pass away. And what I'm saying, there are examples that we have where you can see that it would be permissible for someone to engage in work. Now here's, now listen to me carefully, here's the catch. Those times actually fall under Shabbat law. Okay, the Shabbat governing law. Let me take you to Matthew 12 and show you. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand and they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him, moving on to verse 11. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if he falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Or how much more value uh, then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's lawful to do good. So those individuals who we find who are there, in fact, in the field of saving lives, sustaining lives, it's permissible. It is permissible. In fact, you read the story of the Maccabees, you know, we're coming up on, on Hanukkah, right? One of the things you'll read, I think it's right in within the first chapter, very, very powerful. Mattathias, he noticed his brethren had taken a stand and say, we are not going to fight the Greeks on Shabbat. The Greeks went in and slaughtered them. Killed them all, horrifically. Mattathias looks, he turns to his friends and says, Brothers, let us not do that. Let us fight for our lives and for the law of our God. And you know the rest is history. When Mattathias rose up, he defeated. He kept pounding the Greeks, kept pushing them back. Awesome victories. But he made the decision. He said, no, we should be standing up and preserving life on the Shabbat. Well, that lines right up with Yeshua's teeth. It is lawful to do good on the Shabbat. However, let, let me add this very, very important point. If you are one of those individuals, maybe you work in the medical field, and 
you are working every Shabbat, you have a problem. Because you should be in a rotation. Even the Kohanim were in rotations. You shouldn't be working every Shabbat. You should be getting that time off. And it, it's one thing to go in uh, like maybe once a month. The worst case scenario, maybe even twice a month. But you should be getting that time off and be in a rotation. You know, it always amazes me how when we're so motivated, how we really become crafty and inventive. For example, when people want to go on vacations, doctors go on vacations, nurses go on vacations. When they go, last time I checked, people are still dying. People are still getting hurt, but they're out on vacation. And what's my point? My point is, if we have the same motivation, the same yearning to observe the Shabbat, we would take that same initiative to get the time off as you do a vacation. Think about it. So if you're using that type of mentality, you're okay. You're being that, you're taking the initiative to go and say, no, I'm going to honor the Sabbath day, but we're not going to let somebody die. Nobody in their right mind would, I mean, as a believer would think like that. You inherently know life is what Yeshua wants us to preserve. Yeshua says he's not willing that any should be lost. You know, especially if you don't even know if they're a believer. So they have a chance to, to, to come to faith. There are three principles that, and actually, what I, I guess the best way to describe it is three principles make up one lens. And these three principles all come to us from Yeshua. And when we look at the Shabbat and the prohibitions and the regulations, I'm going to listen, you need to look through this lens to make sure that you are getting a true and accurate understanding. I want to share these principles with you. Number one, it's what we just covered. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. If I'm going to understand the prohibitions, the judgments, all these things that come in play, I must understand this principle that Yeshua has taught. The second is the Sabbath was made for man. It goes on to say, not man for the Sabbath. Something Mattathias understood. Okay? We weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. In other words, it doesn't mean just because the Sabbath is here that I let somebody die in honor of the Sabbath. And I always like to say, like, I mean, let's just look at this for what it is. If I'm on my way here and I'm driving, I love this analogy, and I see a family broken down and they need their tire changed, but they don't have the means to do that. Well, I don't sit by and look at them and go, that's too bad it's the Sabbath because I'd help you. Have a nice day. The heart of the Lord pulls over and was willing to do labor, that is forbidden on the Shabbat. But because it's good, because I am helping life, it pleases the Lord. See, this is utilizing this concept with wisdom. I mean, and this is not just, you can go in and pervert any commandment and make it something it's not. Not just the Shabbat. The third one, which really is the header of, of the other two, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. All of these principles Yeshua teaches. And what does this last one, what do you mean the Son of Man is Lord? He is the interpreter of what is lawful and what isn't. And that means when Yeshua starts talking about the Sabbath and we see his teachings in the gospel, that means your ears perk up and whatever Yeshua says, that is gospel. That is truth. And we cling on to it. He's our rabbi. You know, the rabbis have many different interpretations of how Shabbat is to be kept. I mean, a, a wide array. Even within 
orthodox, not reform or conservative Judaism, but even within orthodox, there's different ideologies of Shabbat. For us, it's much simpler. It's a beautiful simplicity. We have Yeshua. We have the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, leading us to him, giving us understanding in the Shabbat. With that said, let's move on to our next prohibition. Buying and selling. Doing commerce on Shabbat, whether you're just buying or just selling, it is prohibited. It's not allowed. And the best way to address this topic is I want to take you to the book of Nehemiah. And the backdrop is as Nehemiah has come back, he's serving the king of Persia at this time, but he's actually the cupbearer, so it tells you that he's very high, uh, perhaps even a governor uh, representative. Um, Nehemiah has come back home. He's come back for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. okay? And here's what we read. Chapter 13, verse 15. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Shabbat and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Shabbat. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. They were engaging in commerce. This is what they're doing on Shabbat. Now he continues. Men of Tyre dwelt there also. So I want to make something clear. These are foreigners. These are, think of this as the men of the world, okay? Who were not called. Men of the world dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods. And what did they do? They sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah, to God's people. This is what they were doing. And in Jerusalem, then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? See, you don't have to wonder how Nehemiah feels, this man anointed by God, how God feels when we do commerce on Shabbat. He calls it evil. It's not evil in the world's eyes. Why do you think the men attire there? We got to make a buck. This is all about getting ahead. This is all about making money. That very thing is evil in the eyes of the Lord on his holy Sabbath, especially in his holy city. His eyes never come off of Jerusalem. Now, continuing on, verse 18. Did not your fathers do thus? So he's taken his brethren back into history. And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Nobody can convince me there's not going to happen that us abandoning the Sabbath, us going forth doing commerce on the Shabbat, profaning the Shabbat doesn't mean anything to the Lord. Biblically, that ideology is totally condemned. In fact, to the point where Nehemiah attributes the disaster that came on Jerusalem, this added wrath, he contributes it because they did not keep the Shabbat. I mean, just think about that. Think about how intense, how powerful the Shabbat is. What it means to the Lord, not what it means to us. The world has brainwashed us to think, to use the programming that, well, what does it mean to me? To the point where our seminaries, where the students are in there, the professor stands before them, what does it mean to you? And I, I'm actually quoting an actual example. 
Whatever you think, and I'm not going to tell you the seminary this came from. The professor stood in front of his students and said, I want you to read a particular passage. He goes up to the students. Students starts giving all these different answers on what it means. And he goes, you're all right. Because it's what it means to you. No, it's not. It's what it means to the Lord. The whole book about it is about what does it mean to the Lord in teaching me what the Lord likes and what the Lord doesn't like. I'm telling you, we've been brainwashed. So what does Nehemiah do? How does he handle this situation? As we continue, we go to verse 19. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Shabbat. Moving on to verse 20. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of ware lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Now get this concept. Nehemiah takes measures to guard the Sabbath, to protect it. The enemy did not go away. He just camped right outside. Look at this. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night all around the wall? You do this again, I will lay hands on you. And from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. <laughs> the point, Nehemiah is ready to go take care of business. He had to threaten them. And I don't necessarily believe that it means I'm going to come out there and pummel you to where you're not going to get up, but more so, I'm going to take you into custody. This is our city. This is our land. I'm going to come and take you into custody. We will remove you one way or another. And it was only through that that they ended up leaving. Let me ask you a question. Are you that tenacious about guarding the Shabbat in your home? Is the enemy encamped outside your house just waiting, waiting for an opportunity to come in? Unless you take care of business, I assure you he is. Nehemiah took authority. I mean, this is where we get into the spiritual realm. He took authority over that situation. We need to take authority over our homes. We need to take authority against the adversary. Kick him out of your house. And certainly do not start profaning the Shabbat or bringing bad movies or bad magazines or whatever into your house to give him authority in your home. Authority in your marriage. Authority uh, that separates uh, your authority from your children. The adversary is waiting. He's just waiting. We got to take that authority. We need to go forth and we need to guard the Shabbat. The bottom line is, my simple point is, no commerce. This is not the time to go out and buy things or to trade, buy and sell. With that said, let's move on. No kindling a fire or third prohibition. Going to Exodus 35.2, we find this prohibition. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. And here's the command. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So here's our third prohibition. Can't kindle a fire on Shabbat. The interesting thing about this particular command, you will not find it anywhere else in Scripture. Nowhere. You can scour the Torah backward and forward, and you will not find it again. And for those of you who study your Torah, who study Scripture, 
consider yourself a student of the word. You know what I just said is very, very unique. See, because what happens is when you, when you start to study the word of God, you start to notice something. There's a revolving door going on. When you read about a particular command, it's reiterated again, multiple times in different books. The concept is reiterated over and over again. This is what the New Testament is. It's a reiteration of the old with insight. They just keep quoting the same things over and over again. So this is, this is what the Torah is. Very, very unique that you don't find this command anywhere else. Why do I bring up the point? Because it has a massive impact. It has a massive impact on understanding this commandment, interpreting this commandment. Because we only find it here, I want to let you in on something. Because we only find this commanded here, it has opened up a massive door to a variety of interpretations. To a variety of interpretations. Uh, everything from someone who takes a very elementary approach to the passage and just kind of reads it for what it is, to the hyper-extreme to where you have a compendium of ideologies, of rules and regulations such as our Orthodox friends. What you find in the Mishnah. There's an entire section dedicated to these types of things. It's interesting. How are we supposed to understand this commandment? I mean, you would not believe how many regulations you'll find in the Orthodox ideology of... of uh, Lighting a fire on the Shabbat. I mean, to the point where you can't turn on a light switch, can't use elevators, can't drive cars, got spark plugs. Any sort of spark would breach the commandment. I mean, this is the interpretation. This is, this is how they see it. Now, in, in, again, we greatly respect the Orthodox community for their fear, their trembling of the Lord. My simple question is, is this. Is that what the Lord is commanding? Is, it, is that what he's commanding with this particular passage? You know, the first way to look at this, and I didn't put this down, the first way to address when you come up against an anomaly like this, I mean, you, gotta, you, you need to get involved with your hermeneutical principles. You need to start to be, go to your hermeneutical principles and start applying these things to this passage. In other words, what I'm saying is the hermeneutical principle of unity, consistency, the hermeneutical principle of logic, the hermeneutical principle of context. You need to start employing these things when you're confronted with something very unusual like this, where it's only found once. It's easy when it's repeated multiple times. So we have all this usage of it. We can see the context and all these different ways that it's utilized. But when it's only when you find a command it just once, that's where you need to be really, really careful. Well, what I want to do is I want to reread this passage to you. And here's the thing. Don't read it as two separate entities entirely of themselves. Read it together. All in the same, here we go with the context, Okay. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. 
You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Interesting. The basis of this passage, no debate here. The basis is work. The Lord is concerned about work. And isn't it interesting? Then he gives an example. I mean, that's what, that's literally what's going on here. He doesn't want anyone to work, but then here's your example. Don't get caught kindling a fire uh, uh, throughout your dwellings on the Shabbat day. Now, let's see, getting into this hermeneutical principle of unity and of consistency. It's interesting if you go to Numbers 15 and you look at what happens there. There was a man gathering sticks on the Shabbat. Now, what, why is he doing this? He's to kindle a fire. This is what he's doing. He's out to kindle a fire. And what happens? He dies. He is literally put to death. Exactly what we see here. If you do any work, you shall be put to death. And you shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. I mean, this very principle you can see literally unfold in Numbers 15. So it would appear that the primary emphasis here of not kindling a fire, it's centered around work. Now, when we look at what's entailed with kindling a fire, specifically in the days uh, when this was written, I mean, the days of the Torah, the days of the Exodus, what you discover is it's an extremely laborious task. Very laborious. Nothing like what it is today. You don't just get to pull out your lighter, click it, and start yourself starting coals. I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't the deal. You literally had to go hunt for wood, like this gentleman was doing in Numbers 15, he had to go hunt for wood. And then in, in this most circumstances, you would have to cut that wood, okay? That wood would have to be cut. And then if that weren't enough, you, you had to carry it. And if that weren't enough, you had the hardest part, you actually had to light it. If you did not have a fire source, meaning a source of fire to you just go draw from, that was extremely difficult. I challenge any of you, when the sun goes down, go out and try it. In this cold, it's going to be real, especially tough. It's not going to do it. I've tried to do these things of, you know, Johnny survival, okay? You see these things and you get these, you're like, this is a great idea. You're like, oh man, I'm going to die. I am not going to make it in the wilderness as you're trying these different methods of trying to start a fire with nothing, right? With a little bit of kindling, whatever. The point being is it was extremely difficult to kindle a fire. And this is the context. The context of kindling fire is very, very difficult, not conducive in any way to the Shabbat, all right? Let me throw something else at you in addition to this. There's another component here that needs to be seen. One of the primary uses of fire in the day was to cook. And there's most likely, it doesn't say it, but it's implied. Most likely, this guy in numbers that's going out to kindle a fire, he wants to do so because he wants to cook. That's what you use fire for. And certainly, you used it for heat and so forth. But the primary function was to cook. And it's interesting that Scripture, if you go back to Exodus, specifically says, bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil. For tomorrow is the Shabbat. And here's, here's the thing. In, in cooking, let me be very clear, extremely laborious. I mean, when you talk about this exodus, when it says you bake what you bake and, and boil what you will boil today, understand something. When they, it wasn't just the work of going out to collect manna, which was work. 
Then they had to grind it. We are told, according to the Torah, that the way the children of Israel utilized them, it was like a coriander seed, and they ground it on a millstone. You know how much work that is to make this stuff? And so you look at this with this cooking and all the labor that is involved to make that happen and the concept of laboring to get the fire. Put, put all this together. Start putting the puzzle together and you begin to see why the Lord is making these statements of bake what you will bake today or you shall kindle no fire on the Sabbath. They're both, you go to the core of it, they both are centered around work. Very intense work. Now, Having said that, I want to let you know, you know, my practices, I don't light fires just to light fires, no matter, you know, necessarily how easy it is. I take the commandment very, very seriously. My girls, they light the Shabbat candles before the going down of the sun. If I had, I don't, but if I had a wood stove, I assure you, I would have the wood all cut sitting right next to the stove and the fire would be going before the sun went down. It's just naturally how I would approach the Shabbat. I would want to make sure. And then there's nothing wrong, nothing prohibited in the Shabbat to stay warm. I mean, this is, this is the man, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But there's planning. There's always planning ahead. And then I would happily all through the night throw wood in the stove just to keep the family warm, to keep us from freezing. There's nothing prohibited in the Shabbat from doing that. It's just using common sense uh, throughout Uh, the process now with that said i want to kind of push along here because we're kind of getting behind on time no embracing your own pleasure going to isaiah 58 we're going to dig into this if you turn your foot away from the sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day i want to just so here we're not to do and you look at this in the hebrew to do your own desire this is what, what is actually being referred to, chafetz in, in the Hebrew. We're not to follow our own desire on his holy day. Notice he doesn't say your holy day. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people come up to me and say, well, that's not my Sabbath. I don't find anywhere where you see your Sabbath. It is his Sabbath. Amen? And call the Sabbath a delight. And that word delight, you look at the Hebrew, it's onig. This is where we get the term oneg, and we have oneg on the Shabbat all together. It's a delight. The holy day of the Lord, honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. So here we, we find out that on the Shabbat, we're not supposed to be fulfilling our own desires. It's, it's, it, it, this isn't a day to go to the mall, okay? It's not a day to go to the gym, or it's not a day to take in a movie, at home, I mean, we do, we do not turn on, you know, the kids don't get to watch any shows. If they do, it's, a, it's what we call a Sabbath show, VeggieTales, something that teaches them that we, there's this missionary movies that we let them watch. Very powerful uh, deal, but it's conducive to Shabbat. We, we don't seek our own desire at all. This is a day that is completely dedicated to the Lord in every way. It, it should be filled with praise. It should be filled with, with worship, with prayer, with teaching, with chewing on the word, with fellowshipping with one another. This is the whole concept. We're to fill ourselves with the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. 
And so it's not a day to start talking about the mundane things of the world, but to keep it holy. You know, that there's a principle that I used early on that it just kind of grabbed me. It's the concept on Shabbat. If I'm not sowing to the spirit, I'm in trouble because you're sowing to the flesh. Concept to sow to your spirit, not to your flesh. Just think about what you're doing. Is this sowing to my flesh or is this sowing to the spirit? We want to sow into the spirit. Now, as we continue in the passage, we're going to be told the blessing that comes with embracing the Shabbat at this level where we deny our flesh, but we take joy in the Lord. There is joy in coming into his presence. There's joy in meditating on him. There's joy in listening to your testimonies and what the Lord is doing in your life. That brings joy. That should bring joy to us or something is seriously wrong. That means our flesh is governing this entire being. If you're thinking about other things on this day, something's wrong. Your flesh is drawing you out. That's why you got to shed it on this day. And one thing that I was talking to Mike Baker about, and he gets it, we come here prepared. You come here prepared. Don't come here thinking the Lord's going to magically do something. You're supposed to come here prepared with no thought of the world. I mean, this is how we are. Now, I'm... Let's be realistic. Does that mean when you come here every Shabbat, you're not struggling? No. You need to win that victory, though. This is instrumental in revival. We want the Spirit of the Lord here. With a bunch of people coming in, focusing on their flesh, focusing on things that they want to do during the week, the Holy Spirit is not going to move. We need purity. We need holiness. We need love. We need compassion. We need mercy. We need forgiveness. Amen? We want this place to be filled with the presence of the Lord. I want to continue and just look at the blessing here. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Yaakov, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let me tell you something. When the mouth of the Lord has spoken, that's it. You can take it to the bank. Whatever the mouth of the Lord has said his word will not return to him void. In other words, I with my whole heart believe this to be true. If I embrace the Shabbat according to his word, I grab onto the blessing. I am seeking Yeshua. I want intimacy. I want relationship with him. The Lord tells me I will ride on the high hills and I will be fed There's no greater food you could possibly be fed with but the heritage of Jacob. The ultimate promises that we find in Scripture. The promises become yours. I want to be fed with these things. But I want to tell you something. This is exactly what Satan wants to take from us. He wants to take our blessing from us just as he took it from Adam and Eve. Right? He wants to take our heritage from us. He wants us to be cursed which is why he's running this heavy campaign against the Shabbat, which is why I see thousands of years of issues in regard to the Shabbat within the church and the debate and the condemnation and the misrepresentation. All of these things are demonic. They're an attack against the fundamental truth that God has given us. So here we have these four, no working, no buying and selling, Uh, no kindling of fires, and no finding our own pleasure. 
There's one more I added at the end here in addition, and that is restricted traveling. And I'm going to tell you, again, there's a whole compendium devoted in the Mishnah to this very thing. It's known as Erevim. And in Erevim, in that part, I was going to bring up my Mishnah, I didn't. But in there, there is this wide array of rules and regulations pertaining to no traveling or to restrictive traveling. And they've, the rabbis came up with a number of 2,000 cubits. On the Shabbat, you are only allowed to travel 2,000 cubits. Well, then they got a little more ingenious and said well, they found out ways to extend that. And this is through the Aruv. And, and basically, you take a basket of food. And so my distance that I can travel on Shabbat is 2,000 cubits. So what I'll do is the day before, on Friday, I'll go walk 2,000 cubits and drop a basket of food. And now that's my domicile. That's my second. That's my temporary dwelling. So now I can travel 4,000. It's, it's actually brilliant when you think about it. It's a brilliant way to extend your distance. The point being, this is where I'm going with this, is they have this limitation that they have put on this. All the rules and regulations that you can go through when you look at the Mishnah, they only come from one verse in the Bible. I'm making a point here. Hopefully you're picking up on it. Remember that passage that we read about, you shall kindle no fire? It's the only time it is mentioned in the entire Torah or in the entire scriptures, only one time, and it opened up this Pandora's box, if you will, of rules and regulations that come out with it. Isn't it interesting? Isn't this fascinating? That here we are again with the travel restrictions that have been placed on Shabbat, primarily on the Orthodox community. Isn't it interesting that this only stems from one verse? This, see, I, there's a pattern happening here. I want you to pick up on it. Here's the verse. See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. And listen to this. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of this place on the seventh day. So out of this, and I didn't put them, you know, I've covered this before where I've gone into the Mishnah and I've gone into all these different facets of the rules and regulations, actually talking about, you know, in, in some instances, I mean, you can't on the Shabbat, you can't bring something, you can't carry something from a private domain into a public or moving from a public into a private. And if you do have something, well, now you can't travel 2,000 cubits, you can only travel four cubits, okay, which is six, about six feet. And 2,000 cubits, you're looking at about 3,000 feet. And so there's, there's, there's all this compendium of, of rules and regulations, which the, the intent is to try to honor the Shabbat. Their intent is is not uh, whatever. It's just trying to honor the Shabbat. But I'm showing you all of these rules and regulations that they talk about, they all stem from this one passage. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. The question is, is this what the Lord is getting at? Is this the intent? You know, you go back, you think about Yeshua's statements. Beware of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He didn't say hate them. He didn't say be offended by them. Beware. That's what he said. 
And then he gets into Matthew 23. They bind heavy burdens and they put them on men's shoulders. So my question is, is that, is that what the Lord is teaching us here? Is that, no, well, yeah, we can, we're only limited to 2,000 cubics or if we dropped a basket of food, well, now we can extend that to 4,000. I mean, this is why you, in many Orthodox communities, they're all within walking distance of the synagogue because they're not going to drive and they're not going to walk farther than 2,000 cubits, just so you understand where, where they're at. Well, let me take you back. And again, context is everything. This is fascinating. If we just go back a couple verses. Now, it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather but they found none. This is referring to the manna. And the Lord said to Moshe, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, keep in mind, they were forbidden to go out. They were told, do not go out on the Sabbath to go out and work collecting food. You're harvesting. Think about what Israel do. They are taking the Shabbat to go harvest. It's work. They are not supposed to do it. But they went out and did it. They went out to go gather. And then the Lord says to them, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? And then we read the very next thing. See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. You realize that the context is you're supposed to observe it. You're not supposed to go out and collect and harvest. This is the context of the passage. But today it's turned into something dramatically different. Now, you know, when you look at the traveling restrictions, I mean, you're still subject to all the other criteria of the Shabbat. There's no commerce. Well, that might inhibit your ability to fly on the Sabbath. You start looking at this. No, I won't be flying on the Sabbath. And I do try not to travel on the Sabbath. If there's an emergency, I'll travel. But when I mean travel, I mean paying someone to take me somewhere, driving there's no prohibition against driving. Driving to communities, even if they're farther than 2,000 cubits, that's not the intent of what is being spoken here. They were going out and working. Work was at the core here. Oh, interestingly enough, that was at the core of kindling a fire on the Sabbath. You got it? So we're going to close here today, and uh, everyone can rise. We're going to do our battle cry. Hear, O Israel, today you're on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart uh, faint. Do not be afraid and do not be uh, tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, it is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And we all say, today we will go to war. We will not fear. We will not faint. We will not give in to the flesh. And we will not give in to our enemies. Today we will stand and we will fight and we will conquer through the might of our Lord Yeshua. And we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.